Hi, I'm Seth Andrews. I'm host of TheThinkingAtheist.com. And I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. You know, I had a whole entrance prepared as usual for four of us, but since there's only two of us today, I guess, you know, we're just going to make a different intro. I know, but we're such a lovely couple. <laughs> so, so make, it, make it lovely. So, so let's make this different. Um, okay. We'll say, coming at you from Gotham City, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin. I am the Boy Wonder. And joining me as usual is the Dark Knight, Nancy. Oh, the Dark Knight. I like that. In all this snowy weather, I will I definitely know. stand out. <laughs> yeah, well, we have to apologize to our audience right away because our uh, friend Tyler and uh, Kevin are stuck somewhere in Chilliwack. You don't want to be stuck in Chilliwack during the summer, so it's even, <laughs> it's even worse when you're stuck out there during the winter because the snow, the, the sky decided to open and just dump snow on us. No, it's like uh, it's like being way up north someplace stuck in the igloo. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, welcome back, my dear. And like you said, you, you have the trophy for perseverance. For uh, this, this podcast, and so I, I think we share. I think we share that dedication and perseverance for sure. Yeah. yeah so. so today we're going to have a great show. We're going to be talking about uh, talking about the power of positive thinking with our guest uh, Nadia Ganderan. Okay, perfect. But before yeah. we bring her on, let's do a bit of chit chat because so many things are going on. It's been a busy week. Yes. So regardless of what you choose, let's just have at it. Well, this weekend is Super Bowl weekend. Do you care? That's true. No. <laughs> no, no, neither do I. Uh, but I'll pretend to. It's supposed to be Just the biggest show on the planet. Everybody's right. up in arms about this. Did I ever tell you one time when I used to be a truck driver, I was stuck trying to deliver something in a semi mm-hmm. in San Diego on oh. Super Bowl weekend. Oh. And we're, we're going there. I was driving with another guy. It was a team effort, right? And we're calling this guy in advance saying, you know what? According to our schedule here, we're going to make it around 3 o'clock Super Bowl it was it Super Bowl Saturday or su- or Sunday or whatever? Yeah. Uh, and and he, are you guys going to be there to unload us? Sure, come on in. He says. So literally, the town of San Diego, everybody was just walking to the street. I was pushing my way through a crowd of people with a semi. Oh my god! Just to get to the loading dock there and realize they're not they're not there. Oh. Nobody's there. And of course, we we're thinking, okay, we'll just park the truck and wait for tomorrow. No, 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 no. Cop called, pulls around and says, you, gotta, you guys got to get out of here. So then we had to <laughs> push our way back onto the street through crowds. And people are just not walking on the sidewalk. It's all over the street. It's all over the place. Oh, what a night. What a nightmare. Yeah. Well, just, sure, that guy says, come on in. Well, he's already there. He doesn't what does care. He, he doesn't care. So oh. a lot of respect for those truck drivers out there that are always bringing us the goods. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure you get plenty of things to talk about uh, Mr. Trump's immigration stop law order whatever you want to call it it's it's been the wildest two weeks in government i think that that's ever been in, in the united states we're absolutely living through a historic period and not in a good way because it it we're stuck with a president who is autocratic egotistical doesn't understand the fundamental rules of government 
think that just because he tweets at three o'clock in the morning, it shall be so. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. And then surrounds himself with people who are even crazier than he is in terms of their right wing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, craziness yep. and also th- their sense of entitlement because all they've done is lived with money, 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 yes. and more money, money, yes. money. What's that? Isn't there a song called Money, Money, Money? Yeah, for sure. They, I mean, <laughs> they, they ought to have that as an implant in their, in their brain at this point. So you get someone like that with the cohorts and the rest of the com- the rest of the country is absolutely turned upside down but i think in a good way because it brings people together to fight for democracy that they never even realized mm. they had to step out of their houses for in, yes. in terms of making a statement and now they're traveling on trains and planes and automobiles to be able to stand up and say no, yeah. this is not right, and we're for the Constitution, and we'll do whatever it takes to defend it. And that's a good thing. Unfortunately, as a species, we have a tendency to be more reactive than proactive. We do. And politics demands that you be more proactive most of the time. Um, and it really takes for people to be affected in their own personal life before they actually get up and say, you know what, I had enough of this. This is ridiculous. And it's starting to happen. Uh, but <laughs> God knows, so maybe it's too late. Uh, there's also something I, I mentioned to you a bit earlier. History is not a spectator sport. We have a tendency to look at it that way. Uh, but while we're just looking from the uh, from the uh, the armchair there, history is actually in the making right in front of our eyes. So maybe it is time for our American friends to really get off their duff, really, and start to participate in what is their future. Oh, I think so. And there are people who are participating and protesting and coming together that have never, never done it before. When I was watching the immigration ban, there were numerous people that were being interviewed that said, I saw what was happening on television, and I just couldn't sit and be quiet. And I... I mean, good for them. There were lawyers who yes. were giving up, you know, their Saturdays, their Sundays, their Mondays, grabbing their laptops and heading to airports and talking to either the National Immigration um, Center or the ACLU or some of the other civil rights um, uh, groups and saying, what can I do? How can I help? And it was fabulous that they came together and all of the signs that said, our, you're welcome to our America. You're welcome. You're, mel- you're welcome. And those are people that may not have known the history of the SS St. Louis that was turned away, mm-hmm. but they're doing exactly the right thing. And I'm, I'm so, in that sense, I'm proud to be part of that. Yes. Because yes. I, I, I feel as though in the long run, that that our group of Americans, the diverse Americans, are eventually going to prevail. We just have to get this guy impeached and out of there as fast as possible. You know, it possible. starts to get bad when the lawyers are starting to get involved in protests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they were pro bono. They were coming out and yeah, doing exactly, exactly what, what they needed to do. The question now is what to do with this epic battle that is looming between Trump 
and the the, uh, the federal judges and the Supreme mm-hmm, Court mm-hmm. and the Republican Party, who is just kind of sitting on their hands and saying, oh, wow, we get to get our agenda through. Regardless of that guy, we're going to get our agenda through because we can sneak it through while the spotlight's on him. It's really fascinating. It is going to be fascinating. And uh, like I've, I've, I've said this before, maybe the, the silver lining maybe about Trump's election is it might get the average American to finally give a damn. And, and uh, it's about time it happens. It, it kind of reminds me in, um, I believe it was Bolivia, and we were talking about years ago, where they actually, it got to the point where um, government control and by corporate control, they had control of water. Mm-hmm. You know, they privatized water to the point that you can even collect rain without pain or anything like that. And it got so, when it gets, it gets to a point where it's so vital to your survival, it gets viral. Right, and yeah. then people really they come out in in droves and in forces, and I think it's it's hitting towards a tipping point right now south of the border. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs in reverse. Mm. You know, first the self actualization is getting shaken up. Yeah, you know, and then you go down, and if it, how long does it take to get viral? You don't want it to get viral when everybody is at the survival mode and yes. they have nothing. Yes, exactly. And that's what happens to. Uh, the countries where they have dictators who strip the country of everything, and now they're down. They're to, down to with nothing. Basic. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really hoping that the that it doesn't go that far because there's a lot of damage that can be done. There, at, at this point, I forget the name of the law. It's a review that the Republicans do now with anything that Obama signed in the last six months. They can actually go back. And rescind all of those laws. Yeah, they'll, 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 no pun intended. They'll blacklist the whatever black, Obama yeah. did, right? So, so what they're rescinding or what they're overturning are um, uh, um, the the coal companies um, uh, were pro- prohibited from polluting streams. Yes, yes. Well, th- that's gone. Yeah. And people with severe mental disabilities were not allowed to have guns. They're voting on that today. Yeah, yeah. So it depends on how much damage they're going to do before all the restorative agencies mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. people can, can get together. And, and I could get that because wall. even in our own country, when uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau came in, he walked back a lot of the things the previous Prime Minister Harper mm-hmm. uh, did. And, you know, I totally get that. And just because oh, yeah. we're on the, on the wrong side of that, uh, that fight right now uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, they have no right to do so. Oh, it's no. their country. No, that's for sure. I, th- I think they're, they're bonkers for doing so. But anyway, and speaking of Trudeau, he also offered to take in refugees, uh, f- American refugees, if they no. could not get back into their country. And uh, why not? Uh, just remember, uh, our American friends, we have stronger beer, and you must prefer hockey over football and baseball for the next four years. <laughs> I mean, there is. I mean, there there should be a right wing and a left wing, and there should be a pendulum that goes back and forth because there's good, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's good, and there's corruption on both sides, and both need to have their turn. But when it's so blatant, for yeah. instance, when Tillerson now was um, just as he took office, the next executive order was the Dodd Frank, mm-hmm. where oil companies are no longer required to report money that's given to foreign yeah, uh, yeah. countries. 
coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I think not. And of anyway, course, we're shamelessly addicted to this, so if we don't move on, our poor audience is going to be no. But we, we, we still got to talk about politics here. We still got to talk about the story of the week, of okay. course, which is of course the shooting that happened in Quebec City, my hometown. Oh, um, Alexandre Bissonnette, a 27 years old, six dead, 19 injured. Uh, he described himself as a Christian crusader. Oh. Uh, mm. You know, he's a white nationalist. He loves Trump. And an employee apparently from the Globe and Mail said that he was a, uh, a he, he, uh, this uh, particular person made frequent extreme comments on social media on their page for the Globe and Mail. Um, well, uh, it's a tragedy, obviously. It is. It's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And what I don't like about this, I don't like where this is going, unfortunately, because... Uh, first, uh, mainstream U.S., mainstream media in the U.S. are not calling him a terrorist. And let me be c- perfectly clear. This guy is a Christian terrorist. He is not a mentally ill guy. He's not a guy off his meds. He's not a loner. He's not, you know, somebody that had an episode. No, this guy had a clear past. And and I really don't like the fact that, you know, if, if the, the roles were reversed, if this guy had been a Muslim, for example, that had shot a mosque, right away we would have called him a terrorist. Absolutely. But because he's white, uh, we're, we're kind of hesitating. All of a sudden we want studies and this and that. I really don't think we should. We should really call a spade a spade. No, I, I agree. In in the States, part of, of, of one of Trump's executive orders, I've lost track. Every time I turn yeah, around, oh, there's yeah. an executive order and a tweet. Um, but in um, dealing with terrorists, he excluded, he specifically excluded white Christians as a as a uh, is, terrorist is, group, and and this is a perfect example of why this is a bad idea. Exactly, which now, is funny it, because there have been more white nationalist murders and and crimes committed by these white nationalist Christians than there have been attacks, terrorist attacks, on U.S. soil. Do you know if there's anything specifically you know in Canadian law that? That, um, You're asking me about Canadian law? Yeah, hate law or... No, I'm, uh, I mean, are they subject to any anything like that? Or, or can they well, be called terrorists? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. It's a good question. Maybe somebody in the audience would know that. If you do have the answer, send us an email at leftatvalleyatoutlook.com. Yeah. Uh, let, let us know. And um, there's one thing that kind of irks me about all this, though. Now, I don't want to sound insensitive. And you can tell me, Nancy, if I'm being an ass or a jerk here. Uh, but I'm listening to the radio, and I call it the, the Quebec Mosque Massacre. Now, I've got a rant later on that I think, I think words matter. Words really do matter how you describe things. Now, when I think the word massacre, I'm picturing an entire village butchered. Six guys shot is a horrible tragedy, but is it a massacre? You know, it's, it's, I, I, would, I would call it a shooting, I would call it a tragedy, I would call it, you know, a, I don't know what to call it, but a massacre, I think is, I think if, we, if you're calling this, these shootings, and it's, it's no small thing, but if you keep calling everything a massacre, I think it kind of desensitizes us to the tragedy that's really there. Well, I think this is exactly, I mean, you put your finger on it in, a, in an odd kind of a way, but I think media hype is such that we have become desensitized to yes. murder. We have become desensitized to slaying. Um, so now it's the next word in line that is, that's more catchy, that, mm, that grabs the headline. So, 
I think massacre. What what's the next word beyond massacre? Because we're moving yeah, pretty after rapidly. That, you know, what, genocide? Massacre is now going to be you know um, two two people that fall off a cliff, and, and exactly. it's going to be the apocalypse of of, uh, of it, killing. So the next, it, it's no longer. Um, it, it is. I think we have to be careful about moving that, on you know? up in, uh, in our society that demands. Um, a, a grabber of a headline mm-hmm. for everything that happens or they'll just scroll right by it. I think we should almost do a show about this because it's a bit, as atheists, we always bump into that, especially when you're dealing with theists, right? For example, they'll say, they'll say um, well, you, you have faith too. And you say, what do you mean I have faith? Oh, you have faith that the sun will come up tomorrow. No, I have a reasonable expectation that the sun will rise, the sun will rise tomorrow. I don't have faith. Words and their usages do actually matter. And when you just throw in words nearly... Willy like this because you're trying to make an impact, uh, an emotional impact. I think you're losing your, your your unbiased judgment at that point. No, I, I agree. I agree with you 100. percent Like parallel, I said, I don't want to be insensitive about the no, tragedy. No, I don't think you're insensitive. I think you're spot on. And, and as a parallel, this was the week that um, uh, that Killian Conjob was calling the. Um, this fictional incident that oh, yes, she made yes. up, the Bowling Green massacre, yeah, Bowling Green where massacre. nobody was <laughs> nobody was killed, and that that spawned a, a lot of satire. Yeah, I'm know, loving and all remembrance these posts. And, you know, we have to re- we have to not remember what didn't happen in Bowling Green. So there again, she chose exactly. the word massacre for fictional purposes. Well, at least this was an actual event. It probably was over the top word for mm. the event. But at least it, it had some some tie to what actually happened. These are strange, strange, strange times, really. times that Absolutely. we're that we're going through between fake news and alternate oh. facts and 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 hypermedia and Trump. It's a good thing we have a left of the valley oasis of sanity. This is a t- yeah, <laughs> call your show an oasis of sanity. What does that mean? This is a TV <laughs> series where we're going to wake up at the end, right? I mean, we <laughs> have <laughs> the Twilight Zone. But in the meantime, it's time for. This state in history. Oh boy, oh boy, here we go. Over the speaking of over the top, here we go again <laughs> in this day in history, which is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between January the 30th and February the 5th. January the 30th is a day that most people up until this year would if you ask them, tell me about Fred Korematsu Day, they wouldn't have known whether you're talking about a bakery celebration or a yachting event. It does. However, it was an executive order in 1942 that created the system. um, uh, It it was an executive order in 1942 that created the system forcing Americans of Japanese descent to live in internment camps. And this has been brought up quite a bit in the last two weeks. Well, Days after President Trump used that executive order to shift the, the U.S. immigration policy, Fred Kuramatsu Day is attracting special attention, and it was a Google Doodle. Which, you a know, Google Doodle. A Google Doodle, <laughs> yeah, which was very timely. So here's the story behind that. Um, Kuramatsu fought a discriminatory federal program all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and lost. Years later, he was awarded America's highest civilian 
honor, but it took a long time between the actual internment of Japanese and the reconciliation that it shouldn't have happened in the in the first place. He was born in Oakland, California, but his U.S. citizenship, he was a U.S. citizenship, but it didn't keep him and many other Japanese from being arrested for refusing to be relocated to an internment camp in 1942. Mm. He challenged the arrest in court, and two years later, the case finally made its way to the Supreme Court. Um, But since he lost, he went to the internment camp. And then in 1983, the U.S. District Court in San Francisco formally vacated his conviction. Um, And at the time, uh, he told judge the, the judge who who vacated it that instead of a legal pardon he wanted to be assured that the US government would never again take such an action which i think was very yeah, noble yeah, on yeah, his part totally, totally. the interesting thing is that while all of this happened he had a, a family and he had a daughter still has a daughter named Karen mm-hmm. and over this last weekend when all this was going on about uh, honoring her her father on Fred Korematsu day she said he never told us when we were children that this had happened mm. it was so distressing that he wow. never even told his family so interesting interesting story anybody that wants to read a little bit more about him um, just google Korematsu Fred K-O-R-E-M-A-T-S-U yes. really interesting there's also story. some Japanese history locally right here too there was yeah. a lot of Japanese farmers in Mission whose That's land right. were this po- this uh, deposed after uh, during right. World War II. Yeah. yeah, and then never again, and then never again uh, until yeah. Trump got the pen in his hand. <laughs> yeah, take that phone and that pen away from that man. <laughs> February the first is the start of um, LGBT History Month um, in the United Kingdom and Black History Month in Canada. It's also Black History Month in in the U.S. So lots going on in, in cool. February. February the 2nd was Groundhog Day in the U.S. and Canada. Um, and, you know, they always, they had the different names for groundhogs. Um, and uh, for groundhogs, the name of a group of groundhogs mm-hmm. is a repetition. A repetition. Of, a repetition of groundhogs. But I think it should be a prediction of groundhogs. I think that's, I, I will vote for that myself, yeah. I, a prediction of groundhogs. I love yeah, that. whoever names them, I think we ought to send them a petition saying that it, rather than a repetition, it should be a prediction, which is really good. Anyway, on Groundhog Day, there was um, Pennsylvania's Puxatani Phil. Mm-hmm. We all know him. But there's Ontario's Wharton Willie and Nova Scotia's Shubana Katie Sam. I know I'm going to get dinged for that <laughs> um, pronunciation. Anyway, they fail to see their shadows, uh, according to their handlers. So that's going to be six more weeks of, of winter. And of course, we have that today. <laughs> and um, in Winnipeg, they had a brand new kid on the block. Oh. And her name is Winnipeg Win oh. because Winnipeg Willow died last year. Oh. And they, yeah, they had a service for her. So Win so is now taking over. And she spotted her shadow, so there's six more weeks, and spring will come. So let's all go. Let's all get behind the new girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all. It's kind of it's kind of funny. Only uh, only in this planet would we take uh, weather advice from a rodent, but we don't <laughs> think that climate change is real from scientists. Makes makes perfect sense. To oh me. yeah, totally doesn't. <laughs> okay, here's here's a story. I always I always preface that when when there's a this is a goodie because it's improbable 
in many ways, and it takes place in my favorite U.S. state, which of course has to be Texas. So well, of course, Texas. Okay, so most Americans and Canadians as well know that Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederate States of America from 1861 to 1865. But before becoming president, he served as a U.S. senator from Mississippi and also in a militia unit during the um, Mexican-American War. And he was secretary of war under President Franklin Pierce. Anyway, as a young army officer getting to the point here, he was approached by a fellow officer who recommended that the U.S. Army use camels as transportation. Sounds a little strange, but this soldier said that camels had the ability to survive in the harsh desert environment, uh, which was very much like the Southwest. They could do it on very little food and water, and they had great strength and stamina. So 20 years later, Jefferson Davis remembered all of this and actually ordered the creation of the first U.S. Camel Corps. Did you ever in your life, did you ever know that there was a U.S. Camel Corps? In no, Texas? I just knew that in the 50s, doctors preferred camels. They did. <laughs> <laughs> but could they ride them? <laughs> no, probably not. So Major Henry Wayne was sent to Turkey to acquire 62 camels and trainers who would teach the U.S. soldiers the proper handling and use of the animals. So they were transported to Indianola, Texas, just sort of in the the south part of Texas. And they were driven overland to the newly established Camp Verde, which is in Kerr County, which is in the the center of, of Texas. So almost immediately, the officers began to make notes regarding the the camels, they were terrible. They didn't get along with the, the other camels. They didn't get along with anybody else. So they were really difficult to uh, to keep and to, and to try and train. So they hired a Turkish guy named Haji Ali, who they called Hajali, and he <laughs> began. Yeah, he began train in Texas. That makes perfect sense. So he began training the cavalry soldiers who would be using the animals to survey West Texas. I mean, they actually had a, had a use. They were going to survey Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico territories. So he also established a breeding program. So Jefferson Davis' uh, experiment proved to be a success. However, and this is the big however, the Civil War intervened, and con- uh, Confederate um, soldiers took over the um, the, the uh, Camp Verde at, in Kerr, Texas, and they didn't know what to do with the camels. The surveying jobs were, at, were over because now they were in the middle of the war. So what were they going to do with the camels? So the soldiers didn't know, the militias didn't know, nobody knew, there's no records that revealed if the camels were ever used by the Confederates. So most historians think that they did the easiest thing possible, they released them onto the Texas Plains. So here go the camels. I don't know how many, there were 62 originally. So a number of them must have survived because years later, in 1883, a woman living on a southern Arizona, this gets complicated, but it's a funny story. A woman living on a southern Arizona ranch was trampled to death by what one witness described as a huge red beast with a skeletal creature riding on its back. 
Local ranchers pursued the beast but only found cloven hoof prints and clumps of red animal hair along the trail, and as sightings of the beach began, a beast began to emerge from southern Arizona, wild tales of this beast became larger and more elaborate, especially with something, you know, a, a saddle and something yeah. riding on its back. So they dubbed this the Red Ghost. <laughs> yeah, so a few months later and several sightings later, prospectors working in the Verde River, Arizona area encountered the ghost. They fired their rifles at the beast, causing it to run away. And in its retreat, something fell from its back, which would later be identified by a local doctor as a human skull with flesh and hair still attached. So much for the ghost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. here's this red beast is, they think something's attached, and now they find a skull in the middle of Arizona. It was just, you can imagine the uh, the interest that, that this story, the silk story caused. Anyway, so the discovery of the skull strengthened the tales of the red ghost, and shortly after that, it was written up in the local paper that the beast might be a camel. But no one in that area had ever seen a camel before, so they wouldn't even have recognized it, even if it, they knew it would look Even like. if it trampled on them? <laughs> <laughs> and there was no plausible explanation why a skeleton and a camel would even be in Arizona in the first place. Anyway, the sightings continued for almost 10 years, believe it or not, till 1893, when a rancher, and here's another wonderful name, named Mizzou Hastings, sighted the red ghost grazing in his vegetable patch. He retrieved his rifle and whammo, one single shot, and he was dead. So ranchers gathered around, and now they found out exactly what it was. It was a camel, and they traced it back. They called it the devilish skeleton that had been seen riding the creature. And actually, it was a human skeleton that had been tied to that camel with thick leather straps many years earlier. Oh, so God. this camel for 10 years had been carrying, somebody on his carrying back. on his back the, the skeleton. So the origin of who that was was just lost to conjecture. Historians speculated that perhaps the man was tied to the camel as some form of revenge by the... Um, I think it's that doctor. The, the, the doctor, doctor that preferred the camels. <laughs> the doctor that preferred the camel. So they never figured out exactly... You know who that guy was. They never, you know, found anything to it. But um, whoever it was, that skeleton and the red ghost have found their way into America's absolutely strange history. Strange indeed. Indeed. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and as many bizarre events as I can find and people that make up this day in history. But isn't that wild <laughs> that there were camels in Arizona? Oh, totally, totally. And one with a skeleton on his back for 10 years? <laughs> that poor animal. Oh, the tales you come up with, Nancy. It just never stops us. All down. true, look them up. <laughs> <laughs> and, All verifiable. <laughs> and we'll be right back with our guest to be t- and we'll be talking about the power of positive thinking. Stay tuned. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. People like Ray Comfort are fond of saying, what use is half a wing, right? Have you ever seen a f***ing penguin? (laughs) 
life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. All right, and we're back. Nancy, you have a friend of yours you'd like to introduce to the show. Oh, I do, and I'm so happy that she's here. I've really been looking forward to this because I think um, our audience is going to uh, get so much positive gain out of what she is going to be talking about. Um, many times we t- we're talking about scientific subjects and we're talking about theories and we're talking about books, but this is, um, my friend Nadia will be able to actually bring people into a hands-on way of okay. self-improvement. And I think that's something that a lot of times those of us as atheists tend to overlook. We get involved in a lot of uh, philosophical uh, things and um, don't pay as much attention to the things that we actually can do on our own to improve the world, i.e. Mm-hmm. help improve ourselves. Mm-hmm. So Nadia is a wonderful friend who is skilled and has uh, gotten uh, very learned in a number of different uh, topics and subjects, one of which is attitudinal healing. Attitudinal healing. I'm not just going to kill me. She's going to hit me on the side of the head with a club. Yeah, but you can hear. Because the first crack out of the box, I... I, my tongue gets tangled in, in the very nature of her topic, which is awful. But attitudinal healing, which I'm going to let her describe. Um, and she's also a Reiki master, oh, which is a way you know, for people to receive healing energies in ways that they can't always get. And it's a subject maybe not everyone is familiar with. Uh, maybe some people have heard positive things and negative things, but now we're going to get what Reiki is from a from a true master. So let's turn it, instead of my gibbering away here, let's Nadia, welcome. why don't you get into Nadia some shameless self-promotion and give us, as we say here, the Reader's Digest version welcome, of Nadia, who you are welcome. and what you do. Thank you, thank you, Nancy, for that lovely introduction. Um, don't worry about attitudinal healing. It's a big word, it's a big expression, and it's not always well described. So everyone stumbles over the word, and I wonder if there aren't some better ways names to call it, but I think we'll stick with it right now. I often call it um, inner peace. So if that helps narrow it down a little bit but so yes I am a teacher of attitudinal healing I do group facilitation Um, I also am a Reiki master and being a person who really wants to understand things I 
I need a balance in my life, in my own mind, of what's rational and what's perhaps more esoteric or metaphysical. So um, combining attitudinal healing and Reiki is sort of a natural mix for me. I'm a teacher by profession, used to teach little children, and um, then transitioned into teaching adults. And love it just as much because I feel I address uh, not only the adult but the inner child in each person. So Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, Nadia. I certainly appreciate that. And we'll go into depth on the uh, healing pro- uh, part of the show. But for now, we're going to do a little segment we like to call... Things that make you go... Things that make you go... Hmm. And today we're talking about another doomsday comet. Uh-oh. Now there's a comet named 2016W49... It's a comet that NASA believes will pass by our planet at a distance of 51 million kilometers, or 32 million miles, which is actually pretty close by cosmic standards. It was first spotted by NASA, Neowise Project, on November 27th of last year, and it should have been it should be close enough to be uh, should have been close enough to be visible in the northern hemisphere during the first couple of weeks of 2017. But according to one conspiracy theorist, a little too visible. Uh, Dr. Diomen Demir, I'm going to butcher this, Zakharovich, his name has been popping up online in recent months. In Conspiracy Circle, he claims, we're all in peril. <laughs> he thinks, again. He, yeah, again, again. <laughs> he thinks 2016 W49 is going to make impact with Earth on February 16th. Oh. Bum, bum, bum. Do we need to play this just like an end of the world day? Well, this, this could be the very last this show. Is, this is it, okay. It could be the very last show. So the object they call WF4... Uh, uh, it's a good thing we're getting Nadia on today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While there's still time. Yeah, exactly. He, he claims the object left the Nibiru system in October. Nibiru is that mysterious 10th planet okay. that apparently exists somewhere. Uh, and it began spinning counterclockwise around the sun. Apparently Nibiru is began to spin comic clockwise, God knows why. And since then, NASA uh, has known it will hit the Earth. They're only telling people now, he says. So according to NASA, the trajectory of 2016 F, uh, WF9, I don't know why it says WF, whatever, that, that comet is well understood, and the object is not a threat to Earth for the foreseeable future. Ladies, are you packing your bags now? Oh, wait a minute. Now, is are we it, going to a shelter? Okay, look. Are, are, it, it is or is not going to impact NASA says it's not, but this, this, this guy, guy says, says it, it is. is. Yeah. Where, where, where on the planet is it supposed to land? Then Probably I'm going to know whether I'm going to pack my bags or <laughs> into the bag and hide. With our luck, should be atmosphere. <laughs> Maybe mission. <laughs> well, then we might as well not pack. <laughs> we might as well just look good, put on something shiny and sparkling, and go out with a bang. <laughs> uh, you, do you just think? You, this moment. Do you think Nadia, you'll have enough uh, enough strength to heal the whole planet after that impact happens? There. Um, it's not my job to heal the whole planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I, yeah. Any words of wisdom you guys want to give to all these uh, these these poor refugees from the comet after this? Or oh, oh my God! Who wants to take yeah. a bet on this? I, I, you know, I'm going to take a bet. It's not happening. Who wants to bet me? No, nobody. No, I, unless there's a <laughs> unless there's a spaceship, everybody can yeah, get exactly. on and and start to ruin another planet. I guess we're just stuck with whatever happens. All right, perfect. All right. And if we focus on that a lot, we can get ourselves really scared. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's a choice. Focus uh, on it and get real scared. 
<laughs> or don't and be present. Be in the moment. All right, yeah. so today we're talking about Reiki and... A- Attitudinal uh, healing. Attitudinal healing. I'm going to get it eventually by the end of the show. No, you won't. It's just, just one not. of those. Okay. <laughs> I've accepted that now. So Nadia, I'm gonna let you and Nancy go ahead with that. Explain to us what what do you, you remember? You're on a skeptic show, so we're gonna probably toss a few curveballs at you. What do you mean by attitudinal healing? It's good to define terms. Attitude is. I mean, we have a lot of different um, definitions for attitude, and we think, what is attitude? And we think someone's giving us attitude. Uh, but attitude is really, if you look in the Latin, it's really about your the position of your body, the perspective from which you see the world. Mm -hmm. So if you think the world is a dangerous place and people are not to be trusted, um, you're going to behave in certain ways probably because of the thoughts you hold around that belief. And um, when we're in fear, we constrict, even our bodies constrict which has a lot to do with healing, too. Our bodies constrict or tighten. We're afraid to speak. Our jaw tightens. We want to strike out and hit someone, but it's not likely to be appropriate. So our bodies tighten. So when we react from fear, and that's it is a reaction. It's not even a carefully considered uh, response. We just automatically react. Um, then we behave in a world in our world in certain ways if on the other hand we believe that the world is a safe place harder and harder to believe that these days um (laughs) that somehow life supports us and that we we have some inner strength to cope with things that people are basically good if that's our belief system that we are basically good and really just want to love and connect with people then we respond and i use instead of react respond from the french they pensée which means think again we consider before we uh, respond to someone's words or actions or consider carefully what we do before we mindlessly do it um, and that's a choice that we have we can react or respond but it's not a legitimate choice unless we realize we have it no. sort of like the difference yeah. between whether or not you're going to respond or, or react like donald trump or respond uh, like the dalai lama you right? just can't let it go right you just got to yeah. go back to trump all the time uh, well he's such a good <laughs> he's such a good negative example right now guy, guy's got to be good for something no i think i think i've got a very good example i was uh, reading a book called about uh, verbal judo uh, which is a book about how police officers will interact with uh people and there are some things that you know if if uh, reacting to a uh, suspect calling you names, you can say, "Hey, hands up and get on the ground," or you can actually start talking to see what the person is. I think that's what she's making an allusion yeah. here, yeah. here to, uh, responding as rather than reacting. Th- than yeah. reacting, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, very much. So, attitudinal healing is a cross-cultural wellness model for um, healing and well-being. That's based on the power of human connection there's very much in the in the teaching of attitudinal healing where we meet in groups we learn how to listen em- empathically to each other and rather than give advice kind of hold that space with a person out of real respect and genuine caring and enable that person to 
focus inward and find their own best answers. Attitudinal healing is less about the content of the principles, and there is a set of principles that's come out of this work, but it's more about the human connection and how we can be open-hearted to each other and begin to practice a kind of joining with each other rather than separation. Never more important than now at this time in a world of, you know, pitting one against the other. And attitudinal healing has come from um, the work of a, a psychiatrist in California, his name was Jerry Jampolsky, who used to visit children um, in the cancer wards in hospitals. And on one of these um, visits, well, on many of the visits, he found that when children needed to talk about how they were feeling about their illness and, and possible impending death, they needed to talk to someone about about their feelings, and they would ask the medical staff, so am I going to die? What's it like to die? And the uh, medical staff often would change the subject. Did you have a bowel movement this morning or whatever? <laughs> yes, and and would change the subject, and not and the children were not feeling fully heard. So Jerry Jampolsky, as a psychiatrist in the oncology wards, would see this happening and really saw the need for children to to be heard and to talk about their feelings. And uh, so he started a center, a nonprofit center in Tiburon, California, and it was staffed by himself and uh, two or three other psychologists uh, who very much came from the uh, Carl Rogers, the person-centered approach uh, to therapeutic um, experiences. And uh, so Jerry started with about... Ten children from the age of six to seventeen. I've met many of these children. They're still alive, some of them, and their experience was that when children could talk about their feelings and experiences in a safe, non-judgmental environment, they started to feel better and they could relax about it. And um, it, it was not. It was like an experiment. This was in seventy-five, nineteen seventy-five. It was an experiment that no one thought would grow to the extent that it has. Now there are attitudinal healing centers all over the world. Organically, from that initial first group in 1975, other groups were formed, uh, children of the children who were uh, brothers and sisters of the children who were ill said, hey, you know, my brother's getting all this attention because he's sick all the time and nobody's talking to me. So there were sibling groups formed and the children themselves said, um, you know, I think my mom and dad need, need a group like this where they can talk about things because, you know, it's they don't want to talk about me possibly dying or whatever. So out of those groups, actually, the children wrote a little they wrote a book. I've got this book right here. It's called Advice to Doctors and Other Big People from Kids. Mm. It was it was a wonderful thing. And so the groups gradually expanded into including the HIV AIDS population as that came current. And also then for um, bereavement, for death and dying people. And because nobody gets out of this alive, I understand, mm. not physically anyway. And so they're and there were groups for people who were experiencing other losses as we do, being human, divorce, uh, separation, uh, illness due to accident perhaps, and uh, they were called person-to-person -person groups. It's in one of these groups that I found myself uh, in 1997, 
And, you know, when everything's going fine in your life, you're, you're doing fine. But when you've experienced some losses, illness, perhaps, endings of marriages, as in my case was happening, uh, the loss of a business, the death of my mother, I was feeling very much the victim in my life and found, you know, I was really asking for some kind of miracle. Mm. And I think when you open yourself to the possibility that, I mean, you can believe nothing's a miracle or everything's a miracle. It's a choice. Einstein said it's a choice. But when you open yourself to the possibility that maybe there's another way of going through your life as you have been, um, and you don't usually, you know, come to that question, even if your life is going along just fine. Now, now, Nadia, I I, got to jump in there because um, this kind of reminds me of the movie Patch Adams with Robin Williams, where Uh where he's actually, you know, he says that uh, the doctor's keep a professional distance from their patients, which you were referring to earlier by changing the the, the, the subject. In the movie, uh, the, the character of Patch Adams essentially says, why do we need to do this? Why not get involved emotionally in, to, some, to some point? Now, I can understand why you want to keep some professional distance and why you could also want to get involved. But I think from uh, our audience at this point, uh, I think some red flags are going up because they say this is the point where a lot of people will say there's probably some good, valid reason to have a positive attitude, especially when you're healing. But it's an easy step to step into the world of woo from there, right? To ascribe more than there actually is to positive thinking when it comes to physical healing. Right. What is the difference if you have if you have groups that are, are meet because of a specific situation or illness? If you have a, a grief support, if you have a grief group, or you have a group of people who uh, are terminal cancer, what is the difference between the group meeting as a support group and a group with, that would be meeting under attitudinal healing principles? Is there a difference? Is there an overlap? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. It's Generally, when we're in stress or distress or we have needs, we're generally reaching out for someone to tell us what to do, whether it's a doctor or an expert or a, a, a therapist or whatever. The, the shift in attitudinal healing is an inner shift, and it's about not reaching out so much for help, although that's an initial connection, but getting quiet enough inside that we can access our own best answers through our own inner teacher. That's one of the um, understandings in attitudinal healing, that we each have one. We each have an inner teacher. You can consider that intuition. Um, When we get quiet enough to listen, we can find some really um, amazing inner resources that most people are not aware of. So what we do in attitudinal healing groups is... Uh, unlike most support groups where people usually would say, oh, I did that too, and I know, you know what you should do? You know what you should do? Um, Attitudinal healing peer support groups are not about any one person giving advice or saving the day. It's all about helping a person find their own best answers, and that happens under certain conditions. To give you a better idea of what an attitudinal healing group is like, we always uh, begin our groups with getting quiet, the practice of joining, um, where we we often join hands and close our eyes. And if that sounds too woo-woo to you, it's okay. It's just human to connect. It's in all of us. We need that. And in fact, that's often the cause of much of our, our 
distress is that we're disconnected from our inner deeper selves and from each other. So attitudinal healing peer support is an opportunity to um, join with each other, renew our, uh, remember our interconnectedness. Uh, we focus our intention inward and set our, we focus our attention inward and set our intention to be present, to be as non-judgmental as possible and uh, to be with each other in the time that we're together. Well, is this, is this a leader uh, a focused group in that if, if you are lead, are you leading people toward uh, through certain steps in order to achieve that attitudinal shift? Or is the whole group participating in some kind of Round table um, discussion, discussion in, in order to bring that about? How does, who, who is, because it is, if it is individually focused, how, how is that, how is that brought around so that the individual, or are all individuals in that particular group feeling some kind of hurt so that everybody gets a chance to express their hurt or or heal from it. I'm a little confused on how <laughs> I'm rambling. How does that all work? Okay. Well, there is a facilitator. And so in my case, when I do the groups, I'm the facilitator in larger groups. And certainly at the center in California, there would be two facilitators because there may be as many as 10 or even 20 in a group. So there's a facilitator who is um, not just leading a group in having conversations, but uh, focused on the principles of attitudinal healing. There are 12 that came out of that work with the children. They're not dogma. They're like guideposts. They're like putting on a set of glasses that um, you see through, um, you, you see your experience as, okay, I'm not explaining that very well. The, the, Principles of attitudinal healing are like guideposts along your path. So the group begins with joining in quietness. The facilitator leads. And then we go through the principles, the 12 principles. People share about what, which one might be helpful to them. And, and then we begin by sharing. And depending on the number of people in the group and the time that we have, we try to the facilitator usually, or facilitators, try to, um, you know, make sure everybody has a chance. And there's a very, you know, gentle way to do that. And and uh, it's like, you know, I really, really thank you for your sharing. For example, you're interacting with someone who's just shared. And we are you complete? And uh, let's give everyone a chance to share. So, there's a, a sharing of the time and a sharing of what's in us and uh, and the difference between attitudinal healing peer support and just a regular other peer support groups is that there is this beginning with joining, beginning with quiet, focusing on the principles and then not giving advice. The code is more what you call guidelines, the natural rules. Uh, well, what are, uh, you know, there, are, there are 12 principles? Yes, there are 12. Well, are, before we okay. go into the 12 principles, I, I, I just want to go back on something I heard there because I know I know when Tyler hears that bit, he's going to scream, and I can hear him scream from the show right now. Um, there, you, you, you went to a point there where you said you're trying to get people to find their answers. Yep. Now, you're, you're dealing with skeptics and atheists. We, we, we care mainly about what's true, not what's true to you. 
right? So, and you're also dealing with a population that's, like you said, a lot of times in a very vulnerable state. So I guess my question is, how do you stop, for lack of a better words, charlatans from coming in and taking advantage of that situation, right? Because it's when a person is at their most vulnerable, usually, that you'll see the vultures will we'll, we'll, we'll take religion, for example, because we're atheists, and it'll come in and give you an answer. It's not the, it's not the truth, and it's, but it's a comfortable lie, and people will fall for it. How do you guys, do, how do you guys avoid that in your, in your 12-step process? Interesting question. For the most part, when I advertise my programs or when anyone uh, is drawn to attitudinal healing, it's how do I answer that indeed? It's, it doesn't usually, attitudinal healing does not usually attract people who, are, who want to disrupt things, but, but that is... No, but you have to admit, it's, it's almost a good uh, recruiting opportunity, right? You have some very, uh, I mean, for example, if I was a guy, uh, one of your students, but I really wanted to push sales of a uh, snake oil of some kind, I have a very good opportunity there to go to some people that are essentially um, vulnerable and then say, hey, you know what, I might not have the answer, but here's an answer. If you take this, you'll feel better. The same way a person can say, you know, your 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 loss parent there is with in a better place although it's it's a comfortable answer but it's not necessarily a true answer so i'm just wondering you know how do how do you guys cope with that kind of mechanism well that's kind of like giving advice or trying to save the day and there's an agreement at the beginning of an attitudinal healing group that there are certain guidelines for the group and one is that we we don't uh seek to give advice and sometimes when someone might speak up in that way in the group, um, I will ask the person who that that is directed to, I'll mm-hmm. say to them, does this feel like advice to you? And if it does, then we simply say, you know, we're not here to give advice. We're here to listen to each other. There are certain guidelines for the groups, which mean, which involve certainly confidentiality of anything that's ex- it's expressed in the group stays within mm. the group. Uh, the The agreement is to listen without judging as much as possible. Which brings um, us back to the, the principles. Yes, so, okay. Yeah, so let's, let's, get, let's get into let's those get into 12 the, principles. Yeah, let's get into those, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, there are 12, and these came out of the work, uh, Jerry's work with the children, and uh, Jerry and the three other therapists in, in the group. Um And so the first principle, it's like everything else rests on that. And this one will probably stir some people up. But uh, the first principle is called is the essence of our being is love. Uh, Attitudinal healing takes a very uh, has a very high perspective on who we are as as um, as people it's really very much about looking at who we are as people and um, and looking at our humanity and so for a lot of people, they um, that's you know there's so much reactivity to even the word love, and uh, they don't even realize that they have these um, biases and opinions and beliefs. They just think that what they think is true. It's it's like that um, the 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 story about a man who goes to um, a, a counselor, a, a psychotherapist, and and 
he thinks he believes he's a dog. And the psychotherapist says to him, so uh, how long have you believed you were a dog? And the man says, ever since I was a puppy. Um, <laughs> so it's like the within the illusion, you're sure that this is who you are. And attitudinal healing simply from that very first principle gives you another perspective. It's like, what if you're not, what if you're not nothing? What if you're not just an animal? What if you're more than that? Just consider the possibility that perhaps you were born as an innocent baby and you were influenced by the people who raised you and, and were in your life and you developed certain attitudes as a result of that. Uh, what if who you are is really okay? Oh my gosh, I love this song! Everything is It's it's um, attitudinal healing comes from a, a perspective of radical innocence. What if who you are is okay? And it's a new principle for a lot of people. It's it's the understanding that within us is everything that's perfect and ready to radiate out through us. It's a, a process of healing our beliefs about ourselves and and about each other so it really starts so the first principle is the essence of our being is love and it's not something that's taught you are love you must know it's it's an exploration of what that could possibly mean so in groups there are we go in and out of quietude and then sharing with each other so it's a very kind of meditative approach in a group and there's also time for for speaking out so it's not about looking outside ourselves for answers but about looking inside and so uh, what if i wanted to join an attitudinal healing group initially would i have to be bruised or hurt in, emotionally in some way where i'm looking for some relief and then when i joined the group what would I expect from the group? Initially, would I come in and be lost, or would there be a structure to each meeting where you go through the quiet and then you go through the the uh, the, the different steps, or does that depend on the leader and the, the group and what everybody is going through? I mean, is the group diverse so that I may be grieving because of a divorce and you may be grieving because of a death, but we're both grieving? Well, first of all, um, I don't know of anyone who hasn't suffered some just by being alive. Yeah, that's a joke, son. Don't you get it? I made a funny, son, and you're not laughing. <laughs> so there's room for everyone in a group, although some groups are focused on specifically um, perhaps bereavement. I've, I've facilitated children's bereavement groups for um, Mission Hospice. I've done couples support groups, and I've done um, support groups for parents of children who are ill, uh, as well as person-to-person -person general. Anyone can come for if this is what you feel drawn to. So, and the attitudinal healing support groups have a certain structure that um, there's a facilitator or two, depending on the size of the group, and the facilitators are, are trained in facilitating from the attitudinal healing perspective. We go through the principles 
Um, there's a set of guidelines for the group about listening without judging, not sharing outside the group, uh, not giving advice. And um, often for me, I find that an attitudinal healing support group may follow one of my classes, which is um, a series of four or five classes that I call Inner Peace for Busy People. And this really teaches you in depth. It's really an exploration of of who we are, what relationships are for, how our thoughts and uh, attitudes affect our health, um, our work, our, our being in the world. And then an attitudinal healing support group would follow that um, nicely to help um, substantiate the teachings from the course, which is basically attitudinal healing well, and applying the principles. If I wanted to join... Is there any place that I could do some reading to kind of understand a little bit more about what I can expect and what, how deeply I'm supposed to participate, how much I'm supposed to reveal of myself so that I don't come into the group cold, not knowing, you know, because that, that's tension and stress by itself. Absolutely, yes. Anything can be stressful, and certainly self-revelation is a huge stressor for for um, all of us, you want to feel safe with who, with whom you are sharing your intimate details of your life. So uh, to answer your question, to attend a group here, you would contact me through shift to love at hotmail.com. That's my email address. Or you might see one of my posters in one of the coffee houses or at the Attitude um, Abbotsford Rec Center. I'm talking to UFE again after um, an absence from there to do some more attitudinal healing work courses in continuing ed. So once you make that contact with me um, and you want to know more about attitudinal healing, you can either join one of my five-week groups, Inner Peace for Busy People, or I would direct you to the Attitudinal Healing International website, which gives you more of an overview from a global perspective. So um, that goes that you get you you get an introduction to the principles and how groups are run and a general yes. overview, um, yes. which would be I would imagine helpful to know whether or not you're at a time and place in your life where this might be the the the, the type of um, outreach that would be best for you, right? Right, yeah. So I, it's time to um, generate some more activity for my inner peace groups, and so that's going to be happening as we get rid of the snow and people can actually make it out of their houses. <laughs> yeah. And, so yeah. what, what would be the goal, Nadia? Would the goal be that your students and people who go through attitudinal healing come with more awareness and, and better tools you know for their emotional health or to to make some of these bruises in your emotional system fade away or you become more adept in handling it or does everybody or does everybody set their own goal well people come for their own reasons and it usually um when we've reached a point where we ask ourselves isn't there a better way than this um then something will attract you to, when you're looking for some answer, 
life generally supplies. It's like when I was going through my um, the pain of my impending divorce, the death of my mother, and the ending, the selling of our business, um, I was... Um, really looking for some kind of miracle. And I was walking by the bookstore here in Abbotsford, Hemingway's Books, and I saw a book in the window that says, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life. It led me to, it was a book by Jerry Jampolsky. It told me about ongoing trainings at the center. It's like when uh, the student is ready, the teacher appears. (laughs) (laughs) When you are ready for a change, I believe that life will provide you with some direction, especially if you're asking, I need some direction, I need some direction. Um, And um, then people find their way. It's kind of a magical process by which we find each other. The people who've come to my groups have, uh, you know, been looking. Who doesn't need some respite from their pain, confusion, or whatever? And what a a delight to know that... um, all of these fearful thoughts that you've been that have been running you that you have some control over so the the real value of attitudinal healing is that um, it teaches you that when we're upset when things are going out of control in our lives it's and we we don't see a way out we learn that it's not um, events or people outside ourselves that cause our upset, but our own thoughts, our own perceptions and attitudes. And when we find out that, hey, you know, I'm scaring myself with my thoughts, or, you know, I have more power over this than I realized. And we learn how to shift that perception from fear based thinking to love-based thinking, we, it's like, it's a real relief to find out that I have, I have resources that I'm not using, that, that often it's, it's our thoughts (laughs) that when we think them habitually become habits, and that's back to the definition of attitude, it's a habitual posture from, through, from which we see the world, and Um, attitudinal healing helps us retrain our minds so that we can help make the shift from fear to love fear-based thinking to love-based thinking and helps us see that we have we're not victims of the world we see but we're making choices so Nadia if someone is at the point where what you're saying is is really resonating with them and they're perhaps ready to join a a group that they feel would be of help to them how do they get in touch with you and how many is it a group that's ongoing are there uh, like 12 sessions how does does that work so So let us know let us know all the different ways to get in touch with you and then a little bit more about the uh, the length of time each group is and for how many sessions it goes i think that'd be very helpful Good. Okay, so I can be reached through my email address. Uh, I have two email addresses, but um, the one I'm using most often right now is shift, like the gears of the car, S-H-I-F-T-2, the word T-O, love, shift to love at hotmail.com. And although I've been teased about that, and someone when I was uh, 
taking a business course said, oh, I hate your email address. It sounds like some kind of sex site. <laughs> and I had to clarify that, no, it's an attitudinal shift. It's a shift in your thinking from fear-based thinking to love-based thinking. So reach me at shifttolove at hotmail.com. Um, I also have a business email that is innershift at gmail.com. Either of those will do. And anyone who wants to reach me can reach me there. Um, when I post my my little notices in coffee shops and places where I'm announcing my next course, there's a phone number also to be reached. Um, and the the courses that I teach, which are called either Inner Shift Experiential Workshop, I'll often take that one on the road, uh, or Inner Peace for Busy People, um, they generally are, there's an introduction, usually an evening, a Friday night, and then there's either the weekend intensive or it's when it's broken up into weeks, it's five weeks, four or five weeks of um, the course, which is Inner Peace for Busy People, a course in attitudinal healing. So, so if, uh, if I was to say in a nutshell, you guys are trying essentially to take people that feel that they're, they're at the end of the rope and you're trying to give them a new perspective so they can uh, feel better mentally, therefore heal quicker physically. And emotionally and spiritually. And it's, it's, um, it's not just when you're down and out and you're on your knees, although sometimes it takes that before someone will say, hey, there must be a better way and they're ready to shift. And I, I see my function as, as helping people become aware that what they're thinking matters that you can scare you can think yourself into a real state of frenzy despair depression or numbness or you can begin with thinking that maybe there's some hope maybe there's a way out but this i want to be clear that this is not simply positive thinking this is not having a more positive mind it's having a more peaceful mind and when uh, you don't know what to do from the attitudinal healing perspective, you don't flail around and run and go, who can, who can help me? Although that's a very human tendency. The attitudinal healing approach is to say, if you don't know what to do, then do nothing. Sit quietly. Go into your heart. And that's a really huge shift for many people. The people who have, many of the people who have come to my classes said, I had no idea I was doing this to myself. I thought it was the world doing it to me. I thought it was my partner. I thought it was the government. When we realized that we have a lot of power just by shifting our thinking. And it's, it's attitudinal healing at its core is also about forgiveness. Forgiving ourselves for messing up, if that's what we're well, about. Forgiving other yeah. people who have hurt us. And it's basically a very empowering shift in our perspective that starts with our perception of ourselves. And then, and that's the basis, and that's why the first principle is the essence of my, our being well, is love. Nadia, it's a shift. In, 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 addition, in addition to your classes, I know there are often uh, corporations and self-help, self-improvement groups that often look for someone to come in as a guest speaker or do seminars. Do you do that as well, or do you pretty well you know, like just the, the, just the class uh, aspect of, of attitudinal healing? 
Uh, no, I've worked professionally with groups and individuals in many settings, teachers groups, parents groups. I've spoken at Parents Make a Difference conferences here in Abbotsford. Uh, I've, wor- I've uh, worked with hospice groups and with just general uh, population groups who are interested in learning more. So um, UFV, the University of the Fraser Valley, has carried my courses for some years, and it's now time to knock on their door again and say, here I am. I'm, uh, I'm available for um, public lectures or workshops. I worked with Curves for, for women getting fit. I worked with women redirecting their career paths. Uh, not young mothers, people struggling with um, mental health challenges. I'm available. I, I would love to give service. And I, I think that, um, again, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And when te- the teacher is ready, the student appears. Mm. There's sort of a wonderful timing to this. Things happen when you're ready. <laughs> and um, so I'm ready. Perfect. Perfect. Nelia, thank you so much for all your time you gave us today. You've been generous, very generous with your time. But uh, before we let you go, can I get you to do one more little favor for us? Sure. Can you say, hi, my name is Nadia Dandurand, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, my name is Nadia Dandurand, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Nadia Dandurand. Yeah, I think that's different. That I mean, so many guess. times we talk about books and we talk about other things, but... We have resources within ourselves that need discovering, as as she said. So I think it's you, interesting. Do you think she's onto something, that. or do you think you think it's woo? No, I think she's onto something because I, I know in in many ways it it is a matter of how you look at life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that determines how it determines your your well being. Angry I, people, I understand that. Promote anger. People who are more in tune with others and themselves seem to live, seem to to at least strive for a richer, fuller, positive. I don't know. I'm, I'm still a bit yeah. skeptical about all that. I think we'd have to delve a bit a bit deeper and also almost yeah. go through the process because I think it it comes it flows very close to the woo. It really does, in my in my opinion. But hey, you let us know if you do you think Nadia is onto something or do you think uh, you think it's it's a, it's a crock. Uh, left at Valley at Outlook dot com. Let us know. Perfect. Well, she was a great guest, though. I love yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. She. She was. I. Uh, I think it's. I think it's pretty far from the from the snake oil. I think any time you ask a person to look within themselves to find answers rather than buy a nine hundred dollar machine. Oh, I totally <laughs> agree. I totally agree. No, no. I think there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of value to it, and I hope she comes back and we can continue. Yeah, the absolutely. I like we we didn't even touched the whole Reiki thing. Oh no! I'd be kind of curious about that too. I actually happen to have a friend who also studies Reiki, so maybe we can bring him in too at the same time. So oh, that, and, and that combined with show. Tyler, who will question everything. Oh my God! I'm always oh, glad that Tyler's not go. here because Tyler. <laughs> looking forward to that show. <laughs> Should be real fun. Oh goodness! And I miss Tyler and Kevin. So hopefully by next week the weather will be good and they will be able to join us yes indeed time for my rant now sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me remember that old line the reason I bring it up is because I want to point out something we seem to have forgotten words have power words color things this past week a madman went on a shooting spree 
Now, before you take away the mainstream media spin, you need to remember this. Bissonnette wasn't a loner. He wasn't mentally ill or off his meds. Bissonnette was a Trump-loving, Fox News-washing Christian terrorist who viewed Muslim as a threat as portrayed by a narrative push on the public for over a decade now. He even went to the length of portraying himself as a Christian crusader against Muslim invaders on social media and acted on it. Now six are dead, more are still on the brink. Words have power. They color and describe a world, and if you're not careful with the words you use, you end up living in a world that doesn't conform to reality. Atheists, most of all, know this. Bissonnette didn't live in the real world. He lived in a world where there was a jihadist underneath every rock and dark corner. And that he was a fighter for a righteous God. His upbringing, his church, and the mainstream media helped form his opinion. And in as such, the blood of those people in that mosque is on their hands too. I hope you remember that next time you turn on the news and listen to a questionable news channel who talks about the American administration and in the same breath talks about the Russian regime. Words have power. Or when a Caucasian Christian terrorist is suddenly a loner while a darker-skinned individual is a threat to society. Words color things. And I hope most of all you remember to stick to truth rather than rhetoric when some reality star vies for a political position, because like we just witnessed south of the 49th, while we stand and argue about what words we use, a con man can talk his way into the highest office of the country. And that takes us to the end of our show. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You can uh, send us a message on uh, uh, com. Send us a message at leftatvalley.outlook.com. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, what else am I missing here? Oh, yes, if you sign up for places like uh, where you can find us on Blog Talk Radio or Spreaker, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, YouTube. If you sign up for places like Blog Talk Radio, for example, they will actually send you an email telling you that we're about to air. And that's always good. You can follow us. Coming up. Next week, we should have Michael Smith of the uh, podcast. I always forget the name of that podcast. Um, I'll get it eventually. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a good one, and we'll have a good time, and it'll be great. Yes, we have a lot of podcasters coming out. Uh, We also have uh, the Brainstorm podcast with Corey Johnson. That should be fun. That should be at the beginning of March. We have Mr. Didi, Brian Keith Dalton. That should be really funny. That should be around March 11th. And, of course, we have... The beautiful, talented, and very smart Cara Santa Maria on uh, March 18th. So that should be fun. We also have uh, Jem Newman uh, from uh, another podcast, another Canadian podcast that's coming up on our show as well. Oh, that makes spring seem almost within reach, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Life, the universe, and anything else is this podcast. And the one I was thinking about with Michael Smith, poorly summarized. There we oh, go. Okay. I finally there got we it. Go. There we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for keeping me company with us, Nancy. Oh, it's always my pleasure. You can always count on Nancy being here, pretty much, unless there's a Martian. We covered, we covered an awful, awful lot, starting with Trump and ending up with attitudinal healing. I think that was a good Trump transition. Trump and attitude, yeah, right there. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Thank you so much, dear. Until next you time. You too. Rather be alone and surrounded by damn idiots. Long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar. I'll be working hard fighting this problem. Religion is a 
comes from culture Only true on a regional scale Science is universal Or you to say that Horus isn't real But Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu You don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told And believe in the God assigned by your parents I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it Something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Yes. Yeah. 